Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Hunt Lift Eat Podcast. I'm your host, Luke, and today we've got the OG co-host, because Carter couldn't jump on. Perry, what's going on, man? Yeah, not much, man. Back in the back in the saddle, excited for tonight's talk with Sam, man. This guy's a, a wealth of information. Uh, I was saying before we clicked record, I was listening to the first episode that you guys recorded with him, and I know he's going to have some some good insights on our topic of conversation tonight, so stoked to be here. Yeah, we usually don't have guests back so soon uh, from the release of their their episode, but just with everything going on, current events, and the applicability to the conversation we kind of had before, uh, it seemed very pertinent to have Sam Seaton from Infinite uh, Outdoors back on the podcast. So, Sam, how's it going, man? It's going great. Thanks for having me back on. Definitely. I mean, with everything going on across Colorado, Wyoming, uh, this insane winter we've had i mean it's late april and we're still getting snow dumped on us in the front range it's even worse at elevation and wyoming's getting hammered so the kill off has been insane and as everybody's looking and either have already applied for their tags or is looking for potential leftover or you know any other sorts of options i mean everybody's probably getting a little bit concerned based on what colorado just uh, cpw just put out and what i know wyoming's been talking about so what, what are your thoughts on everything and what are you guys seeing what do you hearing from the landowners what are your biologists telling you i mean what's this look like yeah um yeah it's definitely like you said it's it's been it's been bad i think it's this is the second worst if not the worst winter on record in in wyoming and then um north north central northwest colorado you know it it got the the same sort of stuff so it's it's uh it's concerning i mean and i it goes to show the importance of actually staying on top and there's, you know, there's no like one size fits all management plan. Like you got to constantly be on top of it and surveying those animals. And, and, uh, luckily I can't, I can't speak for what Colorado's done as much, but I was went to all the commission meetings and, and stuff that that, that was actually held right next to our corporate office here in, in Casper and, and listened in person to all of that. And at least the state of Wyoming, they've, they've done some pretty drastic, cuts to uh to licenses and some other plans going forward that we can talk about uh, in a bit but uh overall i was pretty pretty impressed with what the with what the state did and um at least from wyoming's perspective being able to take the uh take any sort of financials out of their decisions that that was the the direction of the of all the tax task force and, and game warns when they're proposing these to the commission was make your decisions based on what's best for the animals and ignore all the financials. And that's the same approach we take at infinite too on, on our properties do do what's right. And or else you won't have anything in the future to hunt anyways. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And I'm glad that you, you put that out there. I mean, um, you got to remember the, the reason why these programs exist and the North American model is, is out there and you can't, you can't ignore the baseline. So, you know, one of the things that I'm curious about, Sam, being from the, you know, on the eastern side of the country, uh, I've only kind of really been tracking this from a distance for the last couple of months. But I'm curious, you mentioned the, the proactiveness that the agencies um, are, are uh, taking right now. When did that start? When did this become, um, you know, when did they really start realizing this might be something we have to contend with in, in, in terms of drastically changing policies? I mean, was it was it early on in the winter? I mean, was it did this winter start brutal from, from day one or when did it really kind of gain traction as something that needed to be addressed? Yeah. Um, this, this winter really hit on a lot, a lot later in the year. Um, 
so like November, November was still beautiful. I was still out grilling in my t-shirt and stuff in, in November, which is pretty wild for, for Wyoming, but, but really started getting hit hard in, in January. So, and that was after the kind of preliminary proposals for tag allocations had been published. Um, so, so they've really had to do a lot um, really fast and, and, you know, really use the full scope of their, of their abilities to, to continue to amend um, all these policies. So like January and February were, were really bad. And then they pushed out another proposal that had a bunch of cuts. And then, and then April, we got that massive snowstorm, like, um, like Casper broke its single day record and, um, and storm record for, for most, most snow got, 36 inches in like in the course of 24 hours and uh and then they went back again and then cut even more licenses and they're and they're still continuing to do things um even this week they just pushed out um might have even been yesterday uh they they delayed the shed season opening and pushed that back another two weeks to to further help that so it's it was definitely not something that they're able to like plan for from an early winter it all just kind of came on um came on just just fast and hard right at the end of the 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 winter and um you know luckily they had the the ability and the uh you know and and the balls to you know lose some of that state revenue to do us right for the animals yeah managing on the fly managing on the cuff is uh is an entirely different ball game than than making you know what what the resource agencies typically want to do and the, the more academic approach of of taking more of a you know, a medium and long-term view. Yeah. I think I have the exact numbers here somewhere, but I think the overall cut ended up being like 15,000 tags cut between, um, between deer and antelope. And, you know, that was even after last year they did an 11,000, uh, tag cut. So it's been pretty drastic. The only thing that didn't really get affected is elk, at least in Wyoming. So the elk did, did very well. They actually increased the quota by over two thousand tags statewide for for elk and Wyoming this year, which is kind of a kind of wild, um, with all things considered. But <laughs> what have you been hearing from the landowners or your biologists that kind of keep tabs on the land? Are are they seeing? I'm guessing they are. Is you know that kill off? Are they finding the carcasses? Are they seeing the actual results of of what this winter has done? Yep. Yeah, so we we've done we've done some flights and and you can you can see some areas where there um, where there's some some really bad kill. Um, it kind of seems to be semi isolated. Like these herds will get kind of trapped and then and they get an area that gets blown in and they can't get to you know some sage sticking out and you'll just see you know, twenty or thirty dead deer antelope in in, in kind of one general area. Um, so they've been seeing that the they've also they've also been really smart in, in how we've so we already cut what we were originally planning on selling on like we just got a few new um antelope and deer properties on boarded like another hundred thousand acres or or something uh in that ballpark in southeast wyoming and that area didn't get hit nearly as hard but we still cut the original quota that we were planning on doing for those ranches in half um and then there's other ones in that in that central and Southwest Wyoming, where where we're not even we're not even onboarding some of these ranches. Where like it's it's there's not a uh, there's not a, a viable 
amount of uh, game animals. Like if you onboarded, we're going to have you rest that property for another two years to make sure it bounces back. So, so they've been, been really on top of it and really helping. But, uh, um, but yeah, the, the biggest thing has been, been halting some of our growth into those, into those areas that are really affected because we're not going to put on a property that can't be managed effectively. What are they expecting from the like the biologist perspective of, for the bounce back? Because I mean, we see this; it's it's kind of sick, like in nature, right? Where you you've got good populations, and then something happens, and there's a huge kill off, which obviously in the moment sucks. But now, what you've got is more habitat, more feed, and then the populations just start to surge, especially animals like antelope that you know have a high frequency of twins, so they can have exponential growth very quickly. Mule deer, I think, is probably the the most concerning because they're just less resilient in general than whitetails or antelope um, and even elk. But I mean, what, what's kind of the, the buzz around the level of concern or what they expect the bounce back rate to be? Yeah. So, um, I mean, in general, to, to get those populations back, you're kind of looking at five to six years as far as having a good mature um, herd back. Sometimes the year after there can still be those, those good, um, those, those good bucks still left. Um, but it's kind of, especially when it's a late spring like this, you, you kind of lose, you kind of lose a couple years. So in a lot of these units, there was a hundred percent fawn mortality. So every single fawn born last year died. Some of these units, the, uh, there's 60% plus mortality in, in adults, which is insane. Um, but then on top of that, if the snow's too late, all of the adult females that are pregnant, they miscarry because that's the only way to survive. So you, so, so some of these really bad areas in, in Northwest Colorado, Southwest Wyoming, you, you basically lost two years worth of, worth of reproduction. Um, so you're, so you'll, so that'll kind of be a, a lagging indicator. It'll come through and it's a few years down the road, you know, then it's, then it's really weak or you'll, they'll bounce. I mean, the good thing is they will bounce back quick because now it's less animals on the, uh, on the habitat, they're going to ultimately end up growing bigger because they're getting better nutrition as they come up. So it's, it's not a, it's not terrible. There's other silver linings. Um, like for example, the, uh, uh, the black Hills of Wyoming and the, the famous Wyoming range, both those areas are famous for having massive winter kills from time to time. And those also happen to be the two lowest areas of chronic waste and disease prevalence. So there is other things where it, where those die-offs help against other long-term, potentially worse things. So, so again, it's, it's, a uh, nature likes to maintain some level of homeostasis and it all kind of works out as long as we, as long as we, uh, do the right moves and we don't just give it that death punch that, uh, that, that gets it to the point of no return. But, um, as much as it sucks for, for hunting, there, there's definitely some silver linings that'll help it bounce back. But some of those areas you're looking at that five to six years till it, gets better than it was like last year. I was just going to say, you mentioned uh, some other factors, um, CWD being one of them. I know, and I'm not sure about the this area in Wyoming, Casper, and other areas where you might be more familiar, but I know in some places, obviously out west, they've been dealing with these kind of uh, mega droughts and, and, you know, very dry uh conditions for a number of years now and there's been a lot of talk about the heavy snowfall um recharging reservoirs groundwater reserves etc curious if, if that's do you you know one does that apply in the areas that you're referring to and then the two 
does that um, help from a habitat perspective of, of getting more of triggering more of a, a, a quick bounce back? Yeah, no, a hundred percent to both. Um, at the end of the day, habitats, everything, no matter, no matter how bad it is, if the habitat was better, you know, it just, it helps things survive. And likewise now with, with the bounce back, all these late spring storms, like it's already super green here. There's going to be more nutrition. And then from a chronic wasting um, disease perspective and blue tongue and other things like that, a lot of those are, they're, they're um, exacerbated when there's no water and they're all coming into one feed hole or one little area. And those prions are getting out and they're transferring to each other with a good wet spring. I have less animals on the, on the landscape from the winter kill spread across a wider area. They're going to get into new ranges. They're going to reproduce quicker. Um, they'll be stronger going into the winter. So they're going to be more resilient to next winter They're more likely to have twins and then, and then get that, that population back even quicker. So, so yeah, a hundred percent, the, the, what killed it this year is going to be great for next year's crop. Assuming we don't get the same crap again. <laughs> it's really important to understand the balance and the cycle that nature goes through. Because I mean, when you, I mean, you see it, you're on those Facebook groups, like you would think that mule deer are going extinct and antelope are going extinct. People are telling everybody to, you know, and I think some of this is just convenient for people to say, don't come hunt. Cause I, I think that we, we, with our model, we have to trust the biologist and they're going to save the tags. And if you draw a tag, they're saying that it's okay for you to fill that tag. And I don't I think it's ridiculous to, to make people feel like you should just eat a tag just to try to save a species that's not going to go extinct because there's been one bad winter. I think like context matters and like, sure, it's a hard winter, but that's why they just dropped 15,000 tags, you know, like that. Right. Let the biologists yeah, they're, they're do not, their They're job. not just doing that for fun. Yeah. yeah. They're not just saying we're going to burn these. Now nobody also hunt. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, like they're so still we, selling. I was actually can still hunt. Yeah. I was just up in Sheridan today. Uh, just meeting with some of my buddies from Weatherby up there. And, and we were talking a little bit about the winter and, um, I know one of, uh, one of their comments really resonated with me. He's like, I was like, yeah, like it's bad. I'm like, I don't know if I, I was thinking about this area, this area. He's like, he's like, dude, don't worry about it. He's like, we've got the tags. And he's like, what our, our deer hunting went from exceptional, exceptional to great. And he's like, it's like, it's all right. <laughs> come back. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's all, it's all in perspective too. Um, you know, bad, bad hunting, uh, in Wyoming after tag cuts and stuff. I mean, I, I guess to, to frame it up this way also, I was drove to, drove to our ranch in Colorado last weekend and, and drove right through the gut, right through a lot of that really bad stuff. I saw just from the road, 59 dead deer and antelope that I counted, um, which is terrible. Like that's, that's frightening. But then I still saw 2000 other living ones along the side of the road going the same way. So it's, it's, it's not like, it's not like we're back in 1905 where the antelope population is 5,000 for the entire country. And we're like, we got to limp this back. Um, you know, it, it went from maybe 350,000 to 250,000, you know, it's, it's now only half the population of people in Wyoming, but they're still there. Yeah. And I mean, for me, I can't speak personally as, as much of a, from a, from a place of expertise on mule deer or antelope. But when you think about it, a lot of these, um, you know, a lot of these big game species that we, that we, 
hunt in north here in North America. The ones that have been close to that point that you're talking about, Luke, that have been you know kind of teetering on the brink of some sort of um, imperilment or or extinction or you know uh, whatever you want to call it, it hasn't been typically you know from a from a uh, climactic or environmental cause. It's typically been because of over harvest, you know, market market hunting. hunting. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so the yeah, reality the, is, the bison aren't gone because of a bad winter. You know, exactly. <laughs> no, you know, exactly. these hundred yeah, <laughs> percent. These critters have been on the landscape for a heck of a lot longer than we've been keeping weather records. And just because this is the worst winter, you know, that's been tracked in Wyoming since we've been tracking weather, which is saying a lot. I mean, that's you know, that's not nothing. But the, the, the fact is that mule deer and antelope as a species have experienced far worse than this. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's why, like you said, the, the human elements, the, the biggest factor in, in the, the long-term survival of these. So the fact that people like our biologists and these state game and fish organizations are making the, making the right choice to, make sure we don't fuck it up. Um, that's, uh, that, that's the most important thing to, to ensure that, um, that it recovers quickly. You mentioned earlier with the byproduct, the, the CWD control, I, th- I think that that could actually be, you know, a huge net benefit because I mean, the CWD rate around Casper, Casey, like, cause we, we've done some hunting in Casey and like, it's bad. I think it's, I don't remember the exact numbers, but I mean, it's like 60% or it's very high. I mean, out of our camp, there was like three that tested positive and, you know, when we went and took them to the check station. So it's, it's a uh, long-term, I think it could, it could actually be a fairly good benefit because you're one, those are probably the deer that are dying, right? The ones that have CWD because they've got some sort of issue and I mean, and not just them, young ones, sick ones, whatever, but I think every once in a while, a good purge probably is good for the species in the long term. Yeah, no, absolutely. The The tricky thing with chronic wasting disease specifically um, and, and why to plan to having a wet winter and habitat improvement is so important is, is it's really hard because it's spread. Um, it can be spread by, by those prions in the dirt and the soil that can live for five to seven years in there. Um, so, so even if they get in there and you continue to have those drought environment or you're not improving habitat in new areas, then you're still reintroducing those, or you're still introducing those, um, those deer to the same contaminated soil and they'll, and they'll pick it right back up. So that's, that's why that this could be yeah perfect. Cause it's knocking, knocking down, getting rid of those sick ones. And now you have all this great, um, uh, all this great water year and all this new uh new emergence of green grass that's going to spread them out and and also just being a harder winter pushed them into new areas that they hadn't been because they're trying to get a reprieve and now they're coming out and greener pastures so it really could be a uh, um i mean you need you need both both components to truly start fixing that problem and neither of them are things that are really within humans control you kind of need god to take his course every once in a while yeah, a lot of folks, you know, are familiar with the fact that CWD is spread through deer contact, um, which they're very social critters, and so they're gonna they're gonna spread it to each other that way. But a lot of folks are not necessarily familiar with what you just said, and that those prions can still stay active in the environment for a substantial period of time, 
after the the deer that you know was positive may be gone and so anytime from a from a you know from a uh, density from a population density standpoint anytime that you're concentrating deer concentrating individuals even if all those individuals are gone for a period of time all it takes is you know one to come back in there get it and then spread it to a whole host of new new individuals that may have otherwise never been exposed it's it's the same it's the same line of thinking here in the east that's caused a lot of folks to or a lot of states excuse me to um you know reconsider baiting and so forth for whitetail just because of that concentration um it's not necessarily a a habitat thing here it's just it's just you know figuring out ways to to try to you know kind of de-socialize an otherwise very social animal well that's that's why the state of wyoming doesn't do emergency feeding for mule deer they do for elk so all on the western side they they feed the elk all winter but not the deer because they uh um again don't want that don't want that close contact and the uh the extra threat of um spreading disease which that was actually something that in that commissioner's meeting they approved i think it was a another hundred twenty five thousand dollar budget increase for feeders and feeding product uh, projects more specifically for the elk but that still helps the the deer and the antelope because they're they dominate whatever area they're in and wyoming actually has a problem of having too many elk their their herds are above objective in most of the areas so if they get a bad winter they're going to be fine but they're going to run into those winter grounds of the the deer and the antelope and then they're really screwed so that was part of why they passed that additional um uh feeding budget too I was actually wondering about that. I'm glad you brought that up because you mentioned that the elk are still, are still somewhat, um, you know, are unfazed by this, or, or you know, don't don't seem to be as at least as severely impacted as the, as the mule deer or the antelope. How much competition is there between the elk and the and the other two species, the mule deer and the antelope, for, for those resources? Will will just that um, that additional competition from the the elk, you know, the strong elk population, be a factor on the the remaining? antelope and mule deer yeah more more so mule deer than the antelope just because of um because most mule deer are extremely migratory so they always end up in those in those areas that are more inhabited by by elk um but yeah no it's a it's a it's actually a huge problem and it's it's kind of it's a hard one to manage because everybody loves their their elk hunting i mean i love elk hunting um and i love that wyoming is so great for it but that is also that's definitely been a big a big factor in the decline of mule deer is the expansion of, of elk in uh, in other areas. So um, so that's that's why there's such a push to decrease some of these and, and even changing some limited areas to general areas, just trying to knock down those those elk populations to help. Um, get the mule deer back so there's not as much competition same way that whitetail kind of push out mule deer in places like eastern colorado so we we try to kill a lot more whitetail because even though they're smaller they're actually more aggressive and they take take over in those areas so they're for whatever reason, that was mule deer that was actually more. yeah that was actually gonna be my next question is um, Mine too. being a whitetail guy, my, my, yeah i mean both of us are you know we got that whitetail frame of mind that's hard to hard to get rid of. So, so the whitetail are more aggressive and can push out the mule deer. Are they in the areas where, um, the mule deer and the whitetail overlap 
in these areas that have experienced this ridiculously harsh winter. Are the mule deer better adapted, you know, more well suited to to thrive, or are the whitetail just as capable in these areas of surviving that harsh winter? Yeah, they 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 kind of are in winter ranges are usually. Um, I mean, it depends on the area. They're a little different. So like the Wyoming range ones, they're going to come in. They're going to be more in that, that those high sagebrush, um, areas, but, but the other areas, if you look at like a Sheridan Wyoming type area, when they drop down, they, in those, those kind of more lush ag fields and Creek bottoms, then in those areas where they, where they cross paths, the, um, the white tail are going to, they're going to wet out and the northeast side of there that the white tiller they're going to be more dominant they're going to they're going to eat more and the um the mule deer they'll take it on the chin and they'll be the ones that die first this is kind of unrelated how, how often have you seen hybridization between the two because i'm like 70 percent sure the one that carter killed was a hybrid the way it had it looks it was mule deer but i mean it, it's Antlers looked very, very much like a basket eight whitetail. And I know that they will hybridize, yeah. but how often do you guys see that up there? Yep. Um, I've shot one um, in eastern plains of Colorado because it's about 50-50 out there in, in a lot of units. Um, and it's the same sort of deal. It looked like a, uh, looked like a mule deer and it just had a whitetail rack on it. And I was like, this is weird. But um, so it, it does happen there they rut at slightly different times though. So you, you have to have, um, there's like a very short window and some weather stuff has to, uh, has to be just right. And it's just like a couple day window where they might overlap enough for that to happen or just, or just find some, you know, some super horny mule deer buck that just, you know, maybe couldn't get in with his own species. So he's played a little longer, but, uh, it's, it, it definitely happens. But, uh, uh, I mean, not, not a ton just because of those slight differences in, in the rut. Is it usually, and you may not know this, but is it usually a mule deer buck or a whitetail buck that's breeding the other species doe? I'm not sure on that one. I would assume Couldn't based on like the rut behavior and like what you were saying earlier about the, see, I would think it'd be the, the whitetail because I do know they are more aggressive, but in the, when they're in the rut, I don't know. We need a Jamie to look at. Yeah, I don't, that I don't know. That's a good question. I, I could ask a, could ask one of the actual biologist guys where that's their whole job, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> we'll have to I would just assume it. what, however it ends up, it's probably uh, it's probably a buck outside of his normal season, not not the other way around, not a not a doe going long on her rut. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, that makes sense. When you're in that situation, is there? I mean. I'm sure there is some sort of way you could test it. Are you just basing it off of appearance, you know, kind of phenotypical traits of saying, Hey, this is most likely a hybrid or do like, you know, do people get them tested to confirm 23 and me yeah, for I've deer. It's anybody... our next business. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. I've never heard anybody officially testing it. It's, it's more just off of the, uh, off of the traits. I'm, I'm sure you can. I'm, I mean, if you're willing to, if you're willing to pay, you can get anything done, but, uh, Sure, but I, but I I don't know every everyone I've the one I shot and others I've heard of being shot. It's just by looking at the uh, characteristics and then and then run it by some biologist so at least you can like pretend like that was good advice. 
<laughs> yeah, a lot of the deer around Casey have that similar kind of whitetail basket eight, but they clearly look like muleys. I wonder how prevalent that is. I mean, then that area right there is just prime where they're intermixing because that the river and mm-hmm. everything right there. And we've seen some big whitetail too. So I didn't even realize that was a thing yeah. until I started hunting out there, which is terrible hunting. Right. Everybody should the, never the, go there. The other, uh, <laughs> well, the other thing, and I, I should know this, but I would, I would guess that, that they would be, that they'd be kind of like a, uh, like a mule where they're, where they're sterile. So they can't continue to, uh, pass those hybrid genes. I don't, I don't know that for sure, but that would, that would be my hunch or else, or else you'd think that those would just really take over and you'd have just have hybrids all over the place. Yeah. I would, from, from my limited understanding and and knowledge of going back over a decade to, to my genetics and biology courses, I'd be shocked if, if the offspring weren't sterile, but, um, yeah, I mean, that would, that would make sense. Yeah. Yeah, one one other big focus too that I think people would find interesting that there was a lot of talk at these at the Wyoming um, Commission meeting and and I think they've they've got some outline to talk on the next the next meeting um, is about uh, large large carnivore management too because that that plays mm-hmm. that plays a big role like there's there's more black bears and there's there's ever been a lot of a lot of areas the I mean, wolves is one problem. Those things, and they're so smart too. You, after you kill them for a few years, they they learn how to not get killed. Um, and then in the mountain lions, they're just they're just booming, and it's just crazy. So they're putting a big focus on trying to figure that out and, and manage that better. Because I mean, we can cut all these tags from people, but when you have a large cat that's killing fifty animals a year, you know that's a that's a that's a that's a, that's a huge difference. And if there's you know. 30 more in an area than there needs to be um then you know you're, you're looking at some serious serious declines especially when it's a lower population and you're overpopulated on the predators and they're going to hit them even harder so that's very important thing to consider and glad that they're they're looking at that and hopefully they pass it so we can harvest some more large predators what do you think the public response to that is going to be because i mean we all know that that your predator hunting is is you know its own its own animal so to speak when it comes to public image do you think that's going to get a lot of pushback and you know are at these meetings is there like how much public input is there or is it is it kind of an in-house yes there's a lot they you can you can show up in person or there's they're always online too so people can submit questions um i've been part of just general public surveys too or local biologists will just meet with select people, um, to, to get their opinion. So, so there is, there is a lot, um, for Wyoming, I'm not too concerned because Wyoming still has its head on pretty straight. Um, Colorado, I think you're going to have a hell of a time. Um, just cause I mean, there's not even a spring bear season in the state and, and it's uh, ridiculous. Um, they, I've never like given away black bear tags. Like it's crazy. Like it's crazy that yeah. there's not a spring yeah, <laughs> but they lost it twenty years ago, thirty years ago, something like that. It was wild. Yeah, and again, I, I, at least what I've always heard is that just came out of you know just some random lobbyists out of Boulder that for whatever reason they 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 like their bears, which makes no sense to me. I don't know how how there's such this 
love for large carnivores when like, I don't know if they've, like, if they never even watched discovery channel and seen how <laughs> it's so much better if you can just cleanly kill an animal with a, uh, with a gun, than getting it's getting eaten from the butt out by a pack of wolves, you know, but, uh, uh it's not a pretty death. That's yeah. where the, so the problem is. The North American model is only works guys, awesome. with everything. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that shakes out. I'm, I'm hopeful for for Wyoming. Um, there's actually a lot of talk. They've already set quotas for uh, grizzly bear hunting in Wyoming next year because they're confident that they can get that off of the uh, endangered species list for the state too. Um, and they're set that quota at 30 bears um, for for next year if if they can get that off the endangered species list. But hard to say for the rest of the states. I know there's big pushes and. California and Oregon about, you know, just some all out bans on it. But North American model only works if you're managing all animals in it. You can't pick and choose, especially apex predators. What's crazy well, is they end that's up, not very convenient, Sam. They're killing more cats in California than before they banned the hunting. They're just having paid. Just because like, they're cat, cats and there's government shooting them. Yeah, and they're they're coming in with dudes that are just paid to shoot, and they sh- kill the cats and leave them. Like it's absolutely fucking wild, like the cognitive dissonance that goes on with these people, and they think that like <laughs> this is better, and it's it's and they it's an and they wonder story. why their state income tax is like eighteen percent. They're just paying for cat hunters so they can pretend like they're not getting killed. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> we had a. Uh, Jack Donovan on the podcast last year and he's the author of the way of men, but we were just having this conversation and he said something that like really resonated with me. And it was, uh, Perry, you were on that episode. Just correct me if I butcher it, but it's basically something to the effect of, you know, everybody at some point should, you know, kill and process an animal because when you don't truly understand what that looks like from start to finish, there's second and third order effects of what goes on in your psyche to where you just get removed and to where weird shit happens. And I, I, I firmly think that that's true. Oh yeah. hundred percent. I mean, that's timely that you say that. Cause I was just having this talk with my, my fiance. Cause she has, she has a little YouTube channel. It's called like the Wyoming homestead. And she was getting grilled in the comments by some person that openly admitted that they eat meat, but saying that it's wrong that we, that we eat, eat game meat and, and burgers and stuff. And she's like, she's like, how removed are these people that go to a grocery store? I think that's okay, but not, you know, you have to be connected to the whole process or you're, yeah, it's too easy to just be like, Oh, that's just, that just shows up there. Nothing had to die for it. Right. I had a, I remember a conversation I had in college with a, with a classmate of mine who was very intelligent girl. I mean, she was, you know, she is not a dummy. She was in the honors program at Virginia Tech, probably graduated with a much higher GPA than I did. But um, yeah, I don't know, some sort of like basic anatomy class got into an argument with her about the part of the animal that you eat. And I was explaining to her that it's when you eat meat, you're eating, you know, a muscle. You're eating a muscle group, whether that be, you know, <laughs> a loin or, you know, some some piece of the back ham or whatever. And she was like, she just couldn't get, she was like, no, you, you don't eat muscle. You eat the meat. And I'm like, the meat is not an anatomical 
<laughs> part of the body the muscle is this is what you're eating and th- again this was a person that eats meat was not you know she's not a vegetarian yeah. such very intelligent person there's just we've we've developed this disconnect and so like I, I don't know what it is maybe it's because you know deer and elk you know they're ungulates they have hooves we associate hooved animals with with food and we associate you know canines and and felines with pets and it's just like and you know teddy bears you know every every kid had a teddy bear that they slept with at night so the, the thought of when killing the a black bear is like yeah exactly <laughs> yeah they i mean they do look all cuddly i i won't i won't fault them there but until you try to cuddle with one <laughs> yeah, really rip your face off but <laughs> Well, shit, boys. I mean, I, I think we uh, we kind of wrapped up with what we wanted to talk about here because, you know, this is almost kind of an emergency podcast to jump in and just plug into what current events are. And, you know, we're, we're going to wrap up a little early, but I, I think we covered it. And, you know, bottom line is, yeah, there, it's just something we need to be aware of and we need to pay attention to and, and know what's going on and, and need to ensure that our, you know, state biologists are doing their jobs, which I, sounds like from all accounts, Wyoming and what I, what I've seen in, in Colorado and they are, they're, they're paying attention and, and that's, what's important. But at the same time, this isn't a hit the emergency, all panic mode that we're never going to be able to hunt again. It's, we just got to understand the bigger, broader picture of nature and, and these things are cyclic and it's, it's what happens and it's just part of it, but we have to just do our part and be responsible where we can and, you know, pay attention. So, uh, you know, Perry, you got anything to close us out with? Yeah, I guess my my last um, question for you, Sam, would be, you know, just based on on what you've what you've seen from the agencies in terms of their response to this point. Uh, what's your, you know, what's your what's your recommendation or what's your gut telling you in, in terms of hunter? You know, if you're a, for instance, if you're a, if you're a non-resident hunter that was considering putting in for a for a tag in, in Colorado or Wyoming or somewhere out west, or even if you're a resident hunter um, that was, you know going to do your your traditional you know just over the counter hunt in one of these units you know what's how does this how does this change your plan of attack um from a from a you know from a hunting perspective for this year and for you know the next couple of years yeah um i mean i think it's uh the quotas are are set the game and fish they're they've they've been responsible um with, with setting them so if they're there don't don't feel bad about about hunting they're they're releasing because they're they're there that that's that's what still can be responsibly harvested it's still going to get those herds down to where they would have expected them to be last year had they been there um but um expect a few things though you're there's the inevitably there's going to be some more point creep on on all these areas because there's there's fewer animals and there's probably more people applying for them um and i mean the silver lining though is if you draw one of these tags, there's going to be less people in that unit. So while there might be less deer, there's going to be less people. Your your odds probably won't won't plummet as much. You might not see as many, but you also won't see as many orange jackets chasing the the, the deer elk you're after running over the hill. Um, so I, I I say still still go out um, if you're truly looking for uh, and you're sitting on a bunch of points and you want a trophy. I would say either do it now or wait six years because um, some of those still survived, but they 
they might those mature ones won't be there next year and then that adult population died out um and uh and again not to just not to just uh plug our platform but it's it's all the more reason to try to get on private and better better managed land because anything the state does we always go a step further in general private land you're gonna you're gonna have that there's gonna be better animals there so um you can always play always always play that game of just you know just just working the odds but in general i, I don't think it should discourage anybody but expect it to be a lot harder to uh to draw tags from uh um you know for for a little while longer yeah that that makes sense and you know for those listening out there that might be considering infinite outdoors because i've count myself as one of those people um you know because i've been we've been talking about a couple of different western hunts this year and and particularly after listening to the, the first episode i was like man i need to i need to see how i can get on the app and, and see what might be available but if you, if you are thinking that way like you know like myself you know you can you can rest assured that, that sam and his team just like you said at the start of this podcast are you know in lockstep with with the agency's goals and actually you know sound management and they're not you know the if if there are tags available through through sam's platform then then like he said there's going to be you know no reason why you shouldn't take advantage of those absolutely well in 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 states like colorado too there's most of our landowners will include a, a landowner voucher if they draw them and this year they pretty much all all should have because we shoot we we let several hundred usually just go down the drain because we i mean we, we love everything the game and fish does in every state but we hold our properties and our management to another another step higher so we just throw most of those away so so our stuff's can always be managed as as good as it can and that's another way to avoid that that point creep is one of those properties that includes a landowner voucher you don't have to burn any points um in in colorado so you can keep sitting on those and still hunt and then maybe you can wait that six years to draw some other some other mountain unit and go on your go on your public hunt um so lots of ways to skin the cat just got to be forced us all to be a little more creative though for the immediate future i just feel guilty because this is 100 percent my fault because i decided to burn all my wyoming points this year and that would be the year that there'd be a massive kill off and a 15 percent or a fifteen thousand uh fucking tag reduction like ridiculous <laughs> there there's still a lot out there now you just don't have to fight with as many people right. <laughs> i kind of hope i don't draw like, like you said go kill that trophy yeah <laughs> that's right or give me a call and we'll drop you off on some landlocked blm and the super cup and you can just go hunt those yeah i'm 100 down for that once uh, once the results <laughs> come out i'll definitely be giving you a shout please do you got anything to close us out with sam um, no, just, just say entrust in the, uh, in the game and fish and those harvest quotas don't, don't feel guilty. They've already made the appropriate cuts. If you, uh, if you want to get out West, don't let this be an excuse to, uh, um, to, to wait on it. But, but full disclosure, there has been a lot killed that, but, um, luckily the state's looking out for you. So you'll be all right. Awesome, man. I really appreciate your time. Uh, great to talk to you again. Uh, to everybody out there, go check out the new website. Completely revamped, redone. Go check out Infinite Outdoors. Where can they find you? Um, 
online at infantoutdoorsusa.com and then uh, just download the mobile app at uh, Infant Outdoors on the uh, App Store and Google Play Store and then social media just at Infant Outdoors USA. Perfect. Yeah, that mobile app is badass. So y'all definitely go check it out. It is. It's very impressive. I mean, the, the mapping technology is on par with anything I've seen from any other uh, mapping software. So it's it's cool. And it obviously shows you all the options you have, which are significant across, uh, you know, Wyoming, Colorado, all the surrounding states. So go check it out. As always, we appreciate the hell out of you guys. Thanks a bunch.